welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. I hope those of you who are interested in the in French of the Great looked at the podcast last week, and I have nothing else to announce, so let's get started. So Denmark began its intervention into the war in June 1625. With Mansfield and East Frisia at the moment, the remaining fighting in the Empire's country in Lower Saxony. The Palestine question was still a bit in play at this point, especially in relation to religion and restitution of church lands, because a lot of the lands were given out to secular people, and that would require taking land from various nobility. The primary stakes of this intervention was several bisphorics in Lower Saxony and Westphalia. The region was primarily Protestant, with only southwestern Westphalia being Catholic. And like I just said a minute ago, Protestants owned most of secular land and making it hard for Catholicism to get back in, considering they lost a lot of their land. The Protestants had a strong grip on the land. However, there was a decent loss of influence when Osnabrück got a Catholic bishop, which was the first time that it happened in 49 years. So that was around the time of the Peace of 1555. Part of the reason this actually happened was the division among Protestants caused issues, especially among rivals, who cared more about each other than dealing with the Catholics. There also was tension due to Ferdinand not liking the area supporting Duke Christian, who I mentioned in the Paladins, had a family relation to the Danish royal family, influence, and he was one of the people who fought against Tilly and the HRE. The locals also believed that the emperor calling for money to fight against Bethlehem, which was a couple years before, was a way to amass resources to eventually attack them, considering they were Protestant and were neutral, which I will get to a little later. And the fact is, Tilly having an army of troops did not help with that, because Tilly was a fear general at this point. So whether or not this was truly planned, or Ferdinand really did have resources amassed to deal with Lower Saxony, which I don't really believe, considering Bethlehem was a threat for a while until he lost, but, you know. The tension in this area, on top of religious issues, meant that an active intervention by Denmark was a distinct possibility. Avertible on a technical basis, but not likely. Denmark had a couple more reasons for wanting to intervene. Denmark saw what was going on with the re-Catholicization issue and the centralization of power by Ferdinand was worrying. On a personal level, King Christian saw the church lands, the bishoprics I mentioned, as a way to give his sons land and influence, especially to expand Danish political influence into the empire and not necessarily to grab land, but just political grasp. However, many of the local landlords and landowners... They're not welcome to influence, and they saw Denmark as a rival for power, which meant that there wasn't some harmonious unification or acceptance of another Protestant kingdom. A King Christian had contemplated getting involved in early 1624, but he didn't see it as the right time, and who knows, maybe his military intervention could have helped out the paladins, maybe not. What ifs are a tricky thing in history, because we don't know if he could have beat Tilly or he could have just lost in a battle and Denmark would have been screwed as well. One of the interesting points I saw was Christian IV didn't really use religious solidarity as a reason for wanting to get involved. I mean, he used it as a cause of belly to get involved, but he wasn't. He didn't believe in it. He saw the Bohemian Revolt and the war against the Paladins were done and they had effectively been defeated. He, it's not like he wasn't against welcoming any of the survivors' help, but their cause was not his cause for the most part. Another reason why Christian held back getting involved was he was worried about Sweden potentially attacking Denmark or going back to war with Denmark. So he held back full military intervention until Sweden got involved in a drag-out war with Poland. And with that, he felt more secure 
with invading Germany, seeing as Sweden was tied up. Many of Denmark's own nobility were against going to war, knowing it would be costly in terms of men and money, like all wars do. Christian, however, due to previously mentioned mercantile success, had a large surplus of cash, so he wasn't 100% worried about domestic concerns or raising taxes immediately. That was an issue that would come out as the war would go on, but if you have money, you don't need to worry about what your people will say in terms of, I don't want to go to war if you have the money to support it on your own. However... Christian IV, he realized he needed more support internationally, so he joined the negotiations for an evangelical alliance, which he received an initial subsidy from the British. This alliance was the Dutch, British, and other minor people. Even though he was going to invade Lower Saxony, Christian tried to keep his intervention within legal frameworks in order to try to legally claim the troops defending Bishoprics by getting an elected position. But initially, the Saxons saw through this, and they picked someone else. He still kept his potential war effort focused on Lower Saxony to try not to draw the wrath of all the empire. And politically, once he lost the first election through gunboat diplomacy, he forced the estate of Lower Saxony to reconvene and vote again. And seeing the clear signs, he was voted as the military leader of Lower Saxony. Lower Saxony agreed to mobilize around 13,000 troops, and they would accept Danish pay and disciplinary codes. In 1625, however, only around 7,000 troops joined him when he crossed the the Elbe River, west of Hamburg, and Christian settled around Nienburg. This was not primarily the start of a full invasion. This was intended to give him a stronger hand negotiating with Ferdinand and Tilly for the land in Lower Saxony. He wanted those lands and influence there, so he wasn't necessarily rooting for attacking the empire. He just wanted to put a strong foot forward. However, this was not the best move. The negotiations that I mentioned earlier for an evangelical alliance were at a standstill, and Christian didn't support an anti-Hasburg alliance until the end of 1625 when other people had already started dropping out. And he also received pushback from his actions with the main rivals in the area, the Gleths. They condemned the man who was elected before him giving up his position, seeing as cowardly. As noted in my primary book that I use, Duke George, who was actually the grandfather of George I of England, resigned a commission in the Danish army to join the Imperial Army as part of a deal to save his brother's Duchy of Sel. Not, not significant, per se, at least in a wider scale, but fun fact for people who know the history of the English world, or the Anglosphere, I should say. An interesting pattern has emerged from this and other ones where pretty much every single ruler or person in power wanted to present themselves through legal framework. They wanted to show that, no, I'm doing this with the permission of God and politics in order to not upset the balance and get people on their back. Granted, a lot of them would use illegitimate means or really shady means get power, but the interesting thing is they all wanted the moral authority to be able to act, which... Makes sense, that's a common thing in history, but just kind of a funny pattern I've noticed. The other big issue, especially from the Empire side, was the issue of neutrality. Lower Saxony had tried to claim neutrality before the Bohemian Revolts, and Ferdinand was tired of taking the costs of protecting places like Lower Saxony with no contribution. It was a recurring issue of people would want the protection granted by the Emperor and the Empire, but they wouldn't contribute militarily or economically to a war, which meant that the Empire suffered because they were paying for a war which to protect someone who wasn't paying. But the issue was is those duchies and those small kingdoms and the like had their own authority, so they technically could say they were neutral. 
Ferdinand tried to remedy this by sending out an edict to the estates to not assist the Danes, but seeing as he got elected, this effectively challenged his authority as the ruler of the empire. The main issue, I suppose I would say, was were the princes free to help out their own allies internationally, or was internationals aid more of the purview of the emperor. I do mention I talked about a lot of the reforms that Ferdinand did, but many of those wouldn't come until like 1628. So I kind of covered the big idea, but some of them weren't coming about at this point. Some people like Maximilian said it was the job of the emperor to decide international aid, not the princes, while others disagreed. I will say that how I'm using neutrality here does not line up with modern day. When Sort of the belief in God and that sort of stuff was a bigger thing in the West. One side winning the war and one side losing was a sign of a favor of God. So being neutral meant that you basically were trying to avoid sort of judgment and seeing who was right and wrong. At least according to Hugo Grotus's De Jura Belli Ac Passi. Paki, which was a popular text at the time. The other thing was to a vassal of the HRE. It looked as though you were not obeying your overlord by not supporting them in the war. See Lower Saxony or other electors who did not want to join the war. Granted, the neutral places were still intelligent enough to allow people to pass through them, the armies and stuff to pass through them, and they would still trade with them, although who they favored depended on their biases. There was acceptable neutrality in certain cases, though. Basically, that came about if one was close enough to one side and separate enough from the other where it was clear that you knew what side you were on, but you just didn't want to actively claim. Places like Salzburg, Strasbourg, and Hamburg were among that group who were more focused on trading with their favorite side, be it Catholic or Protestant. A lot of the places that could stay neutral were more of the cities and more powerful, not powerful states, but more powerful settlements. The whole duchies and kingdoms, that was a harder mess to justify, but cities could easily claim neutrality. Not that that helped them in cases. Why this happened was because the HRE had a decentralized power structure, as I've covered in the beginning and has been sort of implied throughout the rest of this. So a lot of the princes would have independent power bases politically, less militarily by this point, but definitely politically. And the fact that Ferdinand was pushing for more central power, or at least more central influence in the HRE, probably added to his push against neutrality as a whole. Which, if I was ruler of the HRE, I'd be upset if some of my vassals were not supporting me in a war against external enemies. So neutrality was a big issue, and that was sort of underpinning this part of the war. But back to the plot, I would say, uh, there were peace talks attempted between the HRE and, and the Danish that wouldn't necessarily come to success. Ferdinand realized at this point that the empire wasn't in a state to fight against a power like the Danish Empire. I call it Danish Empire, the Kalmar Union, whatever you want to call it. However, he still didn't like that Lower Saxony remained neutral, as I mentioned earlier, and he was worried about the Hungarians potentially getting involved as well. Uh, less likely on the Hungarian front, but I'll mention it in a, in a little bit on that idea. Tilly then moved to block Christian's movement south by claiming the crossings at Hoxter and Holzminden. Tilly had only 18,000 men, and Denmark positioned themselves on the northern bank near Hamlin after their movement south was blocked. Allegedly, while inspecting the defenses near Hamlin, Tilly fell off his horse drunk and then was fine, but fell into a two-month depression. Allegedly, as you know, the 100% documentation in my source wasn't exactly saying that that was rock-solid clear, but his supposed injuries, whether he had them or not, were, were an excuse to continue negotiations with the Danish and to let the Empire try to gather more strength, as 
I will cover next week. The negotiations were started at Brunswick, where Ferdinand said he would confirm the 1555 peace and religious tolerance if the Danish withdrew their troops. Spain supported this move, not wanting the empire to get drawn into another war and potentially draw them into it. Ferdinand kept a strong hand initially because he needed to maintain his image as emperor or else he could look like anyone could just extort the empire for what they wanted if they had enough military forces. These terms also could be considered pushing it because they were effectively getting nothing back. It was just confirming the status quo or rolling back a little bit. And sometimes people in diplomacy will put out overtly unfair terms in order to justify going to war because basically it's accept these terms or we'll attack you. But if they're blatantly unfair, you go, my only choice is either take these super unfair terms or fight. And that's how it goes sometimes. Christian, at the same time, was preparing for war with his allies in The Hague at the same time. His terms were to ask Tilly to withdraw from Lower Saxony and the Catholic League to dissolve itself, which was a blatantly pushy term that was unfair on the other side. He was bolstered by Britain promising £30,000 a month, along with the Dutch promising another £5,000 a month for his war. He also he also was getting a steady stream of the former paladins who had survived joining him with Mansfields, our old friend Mansfields, joining him with 8,000 men, and Duke Christian had raised three cavalry regiments to join him. Other paladins raised troops to join as well, which included a regiment of Scottish mercenaries, who are a primary source I will use from time to time, as it's a very interesting book that I have on that. Very, I say Shakespeare in English, but it's that time period of English. It's readable once you know what you're doing, but you kind of have to get used to it. I'll post the link once I start using it, because it's I found it free on Google on Google Books, so I think it's a cool read. But back to the plot. That brought Mansfield's numbers to around 36,000 with around 16,000 troops joining him from the Paladins and, and along with 20,000 of his own. Tilly was too weak to fight against this at the moment as he had lost 8k troops to lack of supplies and disease, so he was not in a position to fight back at the moment. He could only play defensively. An evangelical alliance was theoretically forming at this point, with Denmark in the northeast and Hungary in the southeast, but that was unrealistic, seeing as Bethlehem was out of the war and he had a effectively realized he wasn't going to be able to beat the Habsburgs, so he was happy with the position that he had gotten after getting his titles confirmed, and it also didn't help that the English and Dutch money would also come late or not at all. So King Christian was trying to delay ratifying the alliance until this happened, but his hand was forced when Wallenstein appeared with a new army, which I will definitely cover next week, as that will be a big part of that. So the Protestants, despite the lack of support from some of the Allies, had newfound hope again as they had a powerful military to support and seemingly strong leadership from King Christian IV. This war looked to be more even, at least on the surface, especially knowing that Denmark had a solid military history at this point, but he was also facing Tilly and Wallenstein, so it really was anyone's game to, as to who would win. But well, we'll see what happens with Wallenstein next time. I want to thank you for listening in, and I hope you enjoy it. Next week, I will cover Catholic preparations for the war and the return of Wallenstein. The social media links will be in the description box or in the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder, I have a Patreon if you wish to support me. And I'll see you guys next time.